Welcome, everybody, to episode 47 of the Point of Pittsburgh podcast. Uh, I'm your co-host, Kevin Cray. And I'm Stevie Maselli. Steve, I, I got to say, just right off Jump Street, I really want to go first on what you eat last week. Uh, All right. All right. I, and it, it, this one might be a little bit out of left field, but I'm, I'm very excited about it. It's one of the best meals I've had in a very long time. Huh, and it wasn't even in Pittsburgh, so okay. Uh, last week, a couple days, I was at a business conference up in Erie, of all places, and okay. I set up a client dinner at a place called Oliver's Rooftop, which uh, is on a rooftop. However, it's on the rooftop of a Hampton Inn uh, down on oh. the Erie Erie Bayfront, just a five, ten minute walk from the convention center. So it sounds, you know, I'm sure there's some eyebrows already raised here, but let me tell you, you know, you walk through the... You had me at Hampton Inn. Yeah, you walk through the lobby at Hampton Inn and you take the elevator that goes straight up to Oliver's rooftop. And let me tell you, folks, uh, if you are within any sort of radius of Erie, go to Oliver's rooftop. I had... We had, we had an eight-person dinner, and okay. I think each of us had a different entree. All eight of them, everybody raved about all eight of them. We had like three appetizers, a couple drinks. Um, I personally had what was called the Bayfront Premium Pork Chop, and okay. this guy was so tender, served on a bed of linguine with like a carbonara pancetta type setup um, with some flash fried spinach on top of it. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Walleye, uh, lemon sauce, piccata, surf and turf. I mean, everything looked good. Everybody loved it. Like lake walleye? Like, like locally caught walleye? Oh, I think pretty locally. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Actually. I, I got to give credit for that. Yeah. So, there you go. That's my. I'm gonna just come right out of the gate hot on that one. Okay. Yeah. No. 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 I'm. I. I you know. It's. It's really interesting. I said to Jody uh, a couple of days ago. I was like, you know, now that we're back, I mean, it's no different from driving to the coast in Oregon to go up to Erie for an afternoon. You know what I mean? If you wanted to go to the, if you wanted to go to the lake for you know, a couple of hours or, you know, a few hours or, you know, do something up in Erie. So this is definitely the, um, the, the, this is going to have to be something that I put on the list for when that happens. So, um, cause I mean, what Erie's what it's, it's a, it's a shade under two hours for the drive, right? Uh, well, you know where I'm at in the North Hills. So it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's basically like two hours door to door. Oh, is it? Okay. All right. So it's a little, all right. So from downtown, it's a little, little more than two hours then. And then if you go in the summertime, uh, Oliver's also has on the ground level, they have Oliver's Beach Bar, which is an open mm. air open air place to get drinks. And they have uh, fire pits and such. So That sounds fun. So the restaurant, so I had a couple of meals this week. So we went to Scratch up in Troy Hill. Um, and you were done, right? I'm, I'm sorry. I just sort of, 
you know, I, I, I sort of took that lull as a, an opportunity to like jump in. You, you were good, right? right? Oh yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Fire away. Okay. All right. Fair enough. All right. So, uh, went up to scratch and Troy Hill. I, it, always good. I, I've, I've been there a couple of times. It's, it, it's very, very good. I, that's, you know, I, it's, it's one of those restaurants that's just unremarkably solid. So I'm not even going to really talk about that. Have you ever heard of Bubba's in Greensburg? No, not, no. Not okay. Okay. So no, I don't think I have. No. Yeah. All right. So, so basically what this place is, is it's a pizza slash pierogi joint. So it's like, it's like a Polish restaurant except they have like kind of this like quasi Detroit style pizza that is just excellent. Um, it's, uh, get a really, you know, heavy, like Greek oregano based tomato sauce that they put on top of cheese. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, just a, a little oil, uh, you know, as, as the, 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 uh, the, between the cheese and the actual pizza itself, um, or the crust, it's, it's, it's just, it's very, very good. It's, it's unlike any pizza that I've ever had anywhere. Detroit is probably the closest that I can come to. Um, but what it really kind of is, is just like, it's like saucy cheese breadsticks is, is essentially the vibe that you get. But, you know, I've never gone into a pizza shop before where you just walk in and it smells like cabbage. It's just a very, very weird vibe. Yeah. So, um, but if you're ever in town, I highly recommend. So we, we're both going out of town for our, where we ate this week. That's right. Yeah. We're on the road. That's it. So here we are. We're on the cusp of the World Series. Uh, it starts tonight, the night we're recording this. Uh, so, Stephen, I thought it'd be an interesting idea to see how the Rangers and Diamondbacks, who are two very unlikely teams, um, both preseason to say they're going to make the World Series, but also even at the start of the postseason, uh, I have a feeling that they were probably not on the short list, we'll just say, of the teams that were going to be in the World Series. So we thought it'd be interesting if we each take a team and kind of examine how exactly they they kind of got to this point so steve chose first and he wanted to take the rangers and i'll be taking the diamondbacks so steve why don't you uh lead us off all right so um so what did the rangers do and, and again i want to reiterate that these guys not only are they crazy to get there this year but i mean you know both of these teams were coming from the dregs they're not they're not long from the world of the pittsburgh or where the pirates were you know, a couple of years back. I think they're both, um, they're both probably a year or two ahead of the Pirates in terms of their rebuild, but um, they did want to mention that. So um, anyway, the Rangers, so so what did the Rangers do to get where they are from, from a hundred lost teams? So, uh, you know, they started by buying the best middle infield in baseball in, in <laughs> Corey Seager and Alex Simeon. Um, you know, just laying out a cool $57.5 million a year for those two guys, you know, that's, you know, that, that, that's really the, the crux of what they did. Now they, they did that last year and they still weren't particularly good last season. So, so clearly that's not enough, but, um, what ultimately happened is they had a, a decent amount of internal improvements this past season, um, you know, so uh, particularly, and, and this will be uh, of note to uh, to Pirates fans, Josh Young, um, one of their, you know, very, very well-regarded prospects over the, the, the last few years, um, 
came in last year in his rookie year, he had a negative 0.1 F4. This past year, he had a 2.6 F4. So, you know, we definitely had some some pretty significant improvements there um, from players internally. Um, after that, you just have some guys that just, that, that just broke out, uh, essentially. So, I mean, Young obviously... Uh, increased by, like I said, he, so he increased by 2.6. So he's about half of this, but the, the next sort of like, like after Simeon and and Seager, the next four most valuable Rangers ended up making uh, a a combined like 5.2 F4 improvement, you know, in 23 versus 22. So, um, I, I mean, we're looking at guys like, um, uh, looking at guys like Adalas Garcia, you know, again, he's, he's been, he's had a pretty, he had a pretty solid season last year, but I mean, he's, uh, he's up to the 4.8 war, uh, range. Jonah Heim, um, you know, he's been around for, for a little while at this point. Um, but I mean, he's in a new stratosphere this year, going from a 2.7 war to 4.1 war. Um, you know, I, Leody Tavares, you know, uh, again, not as dramatic here in terms of an increase, but, you know, again, he's going from 1.1 to 2.3. So a ton, an absolute ton of internal improvements from the core of the lineup. I mean, they basically went from having, you know, these internal improvements, you know, went from having, you know, a, a pretty solid lineup last year to being, you know, one that was absolutely stacked one through eight. You know, um, I think they had, uh, and, and, you know, this is always a good sign and, and, you know, not always the case, but they had eight guys, um, eight position players that had two F4 or better season this past year for them. Um, you know, that's huge. Like, you know, most teams, even good play, you know, playoff solid teams, you know, they, they generally speaking, are going to have six or seven at most. So to have eight is, is very, very good. And they wouldn't have got there without internal improvements. Uh, as far as, um, they've also been pretty, uh, pretty prudent on, uh, the, the, the pitching, uh, spending on pitching, adding guys like, you know, Nathan Uvalde, Andrew Heaney, um, you know, those are both really, really solid, or those are, those are both guys that put in solid turns this year. I mean, that's, that's a, a middle of the rotation. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, like that's, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but I mean, if you're going to add two arms in a given off season, uh, on the relative cheap, I mean, you know, I think they were total, I think they were combined 30 million. I mean, that's not bad. Um, I mean, you're not really breaking the bank there, but I mean, they were very important players for this team, you know, during the season. Uh, then at the trade deadline, they were also very, very active, um, and, and made some solid trades. Um, you know, Jordan Montgomery was absolutely outstanding as a Ranger this year. Uh, and really probably, uh, he's heading into free agency this year. Uh, I mean, he probably, he, he, he made a pretty significant increase in his number, uh, with his time with the Rangers. And he's been a really important pitcher for them. Um, Max Scherzer, um, has, you know, I mean, he really kind of, you know, not, not great with the Mets this year, 
you know, not great with the Mets this year, but he, you know, he's, you know, he went to a team that was uh, productive and he ended up uh, being more productive himself. So really kind of what Scherzer did was replace Jacob deGrom in terms of his uh, ace quality starts and things like that. Um, and don't get me wrong, you know, Scherzer was still a step back from where DeGrom was before he got hurt. But, um, you know, again, they ate a lot of salary. I don't think they gave up a ton to get him. So they really, uh, they also wanted Araldis Chapman. And through all those, through all those additions, they really didn't have to sell the farm. Uh, they, they took on salary in some places, you know, you know, and, and managed to, uh, uh, you know, keep a lot of their prospects in tow. So kind of to summarize what the Rangers did, uh, you know, they, you know, they, they went out and signed a great middle infield two years ago. Then they, you know, got a ton of internal improvements during the course of the season. Uh, complemented that with, uh, with some nice trade deadline acquisitions. And then also, you know, heading into the season, they also added a couple of pretty good arms um, that ended up maybe maybe overperforming a little bit for, for not a ton of money. So that's that's how the Rangers got here. So on the Diamondbacks side, you know, much like there's a lot of retirees from Pittsburgh that move out to Arizona, there's also a lot of parallels between the Pirates and the Diamondbacks. And, you know, you talked a lot about the Rangers and they tossed a lot of free agent dollars around. Um, the Diamondbacks, kind, there's a lot of parallels here. So first off, back in 2016 is probably when this all really started. And they just, they made the right hires. Um, now there's always a little bit of luck factor involved, but they hired Mike Hazen as GM. Uh, he was the assistant GM under one Ben Charrington. And then when Charrington... Uh, stepped down. Hazen was the GM for a year until uh, Dave Dombrowski kind of took the show over. And that's when Hazen went out west to be the uh, GM of the Diamondbacks. And he brought Tori Lavella in as the manager. Um, and then right away, he, he started making, making moves. And his best early move was trading for Kettle Marte from the Mariners. He made a five-person swap. Uh, and Marte has been a very steady Brian Reynolds-esque player. Like, if you were just to compare their stat lines, uh, you'd see that Marte flashed a six-war season, but has generally been a three-to-four-war player uh, for the rest of his, his tenure with the Diamondbacks. Very similar to, to Brian Reynolds. Um, they have an engine, however, that they got semi-lucky in, and, and that's Corbin Carroll. Uh, he was their 2019 first-round draft pick, but he wasn't, they weren't drafted in the top five. And to find a guy with his impact right away, you usually have to be drafted in there. They got him number 16 overall, and he's really the, en he's really the engine of this Diamondbacks machine right now. Uh, putting up six war seasons this year. He's going to walk with the Rookie of the Year award. Um, and he's just, he's that guy for them that 
they saw what they liked uh, and then immediately signed him to an eight-year, $111 million deal very early into his time uh, last year, or, or this year, excuse me. Um, he only had a cup of coffee last year, just 115 at-bats. But as soon as he came out swinging this year, they made that move, and he's now the, the true face of the franchise. So Hazen, Marte, Carroll. But then they've also just, whether you want to call it scouting or luck or whatever you want to say, um, they got Merrill Kelly out of Korea. He went over there to kind of hone his craft, and he came over. And I want to believe he's only making about $4.5 million a year. Um, they signed him to a two-year deal. Uh, and he was an extremely key part, probably their number two starter, if he had put a number on it this year, um, behind their staff ace and a guy who's going to get some mid-down ballot uh, Cy Young love, and that's Zach Gallen. Now, they got Zach Gallen from the Marlins by trading an equally young player in Jazz Chisholm for him. So it's kind of like a youth-for-youth youth trade, which... A lot of teams are reticent to do. Um, it's it's a strategy that I'd really like to see the Pirates explore. You know, you and I have talked about maybe trading uh, some of their excess surplus depth at middle infield, and maybe even some of their starting pitchers uh, this off season. So there's a lot of parallels. Those are the five things that I kind of honed in on of, of how they did it. Uh, they've just been very shrewd on the waiver wire, too. Um, but really, the, the Diamondbacks, if you look at them on cuts, their payrolls, for the most part, are in the high 90s to about the low 110 area. Uh, they've flared up and, and spent about $130 million a couple times, but for the most part, they're kind of in that 90 to 110 range which is a number that I believe the Pirates should be very easily sitting at. That's something we talked about last week quite a bit. So Diamondbacks 84 and 78 this year. Um, and that's something that the Pirates, you know, I've been saying it and saying it and saying it. I believe the Pirates are going to make the playoffs in 2024. And with just a few shrewd moves, they could very easily replicate uh, what the Diamondbacks did in the regular season this year. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, it's not like they finished that far behind this team. You know, uh, I, I mean, it, the, the, the Diamondbacks, just by participating in the World Series, kind of goes to show that, you know, once you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. You know, um, this is on paper one of the worst-looking teams that, that's out there. I mean, obviously they have their, their studs. But I mean, you know, we're we're comparing a team in the Texas Rangers that has, you know, eight guys that had two plus uh, that had two F plus F four seasons in their lineup. You know, uh, the the Diamondbacks had five. You know, again, that's that's not unusual for that sort of thing to happen. But uh, I mean, this is a very very different um, different club in in terms of level. I mean, they're you know, I, I think that they they were the last team in in the NL, correct? Yeah. And 
And I, I believe, can... correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, they only got in because Seiya Suzuki of the Cubs dropped that easy fly oh, ball. Yeah. Which is yeah, even crazier. Um, yeah, it, it is pretty wild. I, I mean, that this could easily be the Cubs, theoretically. Um, but, you know, as the... As the MLB digs deeper into their um, <laughs> into each division or into each uh, uh, league, you know, in terms of the amount of teams that qualify, that last team in is going to forever get kind of worse and worse. You know, um, if they if they expand it again, you know, it's either it's going to be even closer. But I, I mean, th- this is a team that was, you know, a shade over shade over 500 and, and they're in the world series at the end of the day. Um, you know, wouldn't have been much for them, you know, a a few outcomes go in different direction, you know, and, and, you know, this is kind of, uh, we're talking about this as being a mediocre team with a really great rookie. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, there's some, there's some interesting things that both of these things teams done now. I mean, obviously the pirates can't do, everything that both of these teams did, you know, uh, they're not going to spend $57 million a year on a middle infield. I mean, can we both agree on that? Yeah. I mean, it's not even really worth talking about that, you know, and, and obviously they, they, they're stuck with whoever they're, I mean, at least in terms of the front office for this build, you know, they're, they're stuck with whoever they're stuck with. Um, you know, I mean, they could clearly make a move at coach and, I, you know, I, I think you and I would both be in favor of that. But, um, you know, what are some things, what are some things that either of these teams did that you think that the Pirates can really try to emulate? Well, I come back to the payroll part and, you know, I, I'm going to keep beating okay. that drum. Um, you know, what if you want to say it's 90 or 100 million, you got to spend something. And I would be looking overseas. Uh, it does not have to be a... Uh, an American player that is over there refining his craft, but I think you can find just a lot of deals in general, um, especially in Korea. That's kind of like the downgrade version of the Japanese leagues, but I'd be looking over there for something, uh, some type of bargain. Um, I'd be looking to make some trades for some, maybe a stuck prospect in another organization. Uh, this team really needs to find their Corbin Carroll. I think everybody hopes it's O'Neill Cruz. Um, you know where I am on that one. I'm a little bit more reticent on what his true ceiling is right now. But, you know, there there's enough bones with the Pirates. They just need to put a little bit of flesh on it. Yeah, and I agree with you, especially on the... Um... Uh, the the South Korean route, you know, whether it's bringing an expat or bringing in like a Jung Ho Gung type guy um, that's maybe not a dirt bag. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys out there. You know, it seems like every year there's a there's a guy that comes back from Korea and we're like, where the heck did this guy come from? You know, and and sometimes guys are just late bloomers. Like, I, I mean, I know that that's not something that we talk about that much in baseball. And it's like, if you're not following the steps in terms of prospects, you know, levels per age, then you're not even worth like considering. And and don't get me wrong. There's, you know, there's some, the reason why we talk about those things is because there's some merit to them, 
but it's not, it's never absolute, you know, there's, there's always some guys that are going to, you know, find their way in their late twenties and then end up having a good few years in their thirties. Um, and Merrill Kelly's a, 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 an excellent, excellent example of that. And I think the power, I, I think the next version of that I'm sure is out there. Um, you know, again, I, I think that the, I think adding two starting pitchers of the, you know, of, of the ilk of, of Heaney and, and Yovaldi, I think that's something that the Pirates can absolutely do. I mean, Yovaldi, I think, was overpaid, I feel like, at the at the start of the season. Like, I think he ended up getting a little more money than I was expecting uh, anyone to give him. Um, Heaney, I think, is on a 12-year deal, or a $12 million deal, and I, I don't think that there's any reason why the Pirates shouldn't nab somebody in that price range. Like, I think, you know, the, the, the Rangers, I think, spent about $30 million on those two guys. I don't think there's any reason why the Pirates shouldn't invest about $20 million, uh, 20 to $25 million into their starting rotation. And that just, that gives them so much more depth, and it really rounds out the middle of the rotation. Like, even if those guys only end up being like a 3-4 like those two are, like, that's what you spend. I mean, 20 to $25 million on a 3-4, like, that's nothing compared to most teams, but it's going to make the team a heck of a lot better. Um, you know, and I would argue that those guys had, you know, obviously not the same impact as Seager and Simeon, but I mean, they certainly helped take the team to another level. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you want to say that Mitch Keller is the Zach Gallen, uh, and Kettle Marte is the Brian Reynolds in terms of value, you know, like I said, I'm just kind of beating that that drum here a little bit, but you got to round out, you got to flesh out the, the roster. Like the Pirates have a lot of things where you can kind of go down the line and say, "Oh, okay, yeah, uh huh." But then once you get behind the, the the top three or four people on each squad, that's where the Diamondbacks keep on going, you know, and the Pirates sort of run out of steam, and it's like a lot of hope still. So, sure. And, and really, like the Rangers, the Pirates are going to have to improve internally. Like, I know that seems like a cop-out. Like, you know, but the players that are already here are going to have to get better if they're actually... The Pirates can't just spend their way out of this. They need to spend more. You know, I mean, and again, we've talked we've talked a little bit about that this week, and we've talked a lot about that last week. They absolutely need to spend more, and they need to make some smart decisions about how to spend it. But if those guys that you're you're talking about that 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 it's it's about hope at this point, if they don't get better, the pirates aren't going to get better, you know. Um, but I, at the same time, though, I don't think it's crazy to think that we'll see. Um, I, I don't think it's crazy to think that we'll see maybe one of those rookies that was kind of, you know, that we had some hopes for last year that you know maybe didn't perform the way that we wanted to, like Josh Young did his first year with the Rangers. To see him, you know, with a two to three war increase between this year and last, um, you know, there's talent there. You know, it's just a matter of kind of putting it all together. So I think that was a pretty good look. Um, gives us a little bit of hope, something to maybe tune into and watch um, as we watch the World Series here. I'm going to try to catch a couple games. I don't know if I'm going to go upstairs and watch tonight per se but uh i'll be catching some games in it and um do you have any predictions for the world series before we sign off somebody's gonna win that's what i know
I, I feel the Rangers. I mean, they're just that much better of a team. I, I mean, it, it's not to say that, like, again, in a seven-game series, absolutely anything can happen. But I do think the Rangers are the better team. So I'm going to – I would – if I had to pick one to win, um, I'm not going to say how many games, but I do think the Rangers are better suited for a seven-game series than the Diamondbacks are. But I said the same thing. Uh, I said the Phillies were better suited for a seven-game series than the Diamondbacks were. So, uh, I mean, again, it's it's kind of all bets are off. So – well, unlike you, I'm not afraid to stick my neck out. I'm not going to sit on the fence. So I'm going to take the Diamondbacks in six. Um, All right. I like the underdog vibe a little bit. Uh, I think they have a okay. little bit of a chip on their shoulder. Um, and I just I just think the vibes are pretty good with this team right now. Yeah, they've got momentum on their side, and that's really all it takes sometimes in the postseason. You know, get... You, you know, you, you, you've got to have some talent. you got to have some big players. You're not going to get there. You're not going to make it through the 162-game regular season if you don't have that. But, you know, if you get some momentum and you get hot at the right time, that's, that's, really, that's really what it's about. Yep. All right. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. Uh, and we will talk to you next week. I'm Kevin Cray. And I'm Steve DiMaselli. See you later.